Thanks for being here with us on the Soul School Podcast. The Soul School Podcast is a monthly podcast that aims to discuss important topics that simply aren't covered in schools. We also hope to bring you a little hope, acceptance, and love. We have been on a bit of a hiatus and we haven't been able to bring you the episode that we really, really, really wanted to back in May. Due to some editing issues with Audacity and a few bugs, we have had to scrap that episode, unfortunately. Maybe someday in the future, the podcast gods will help us bring that episode to you. For now, we're just grateful to those of you who have remained supportive to both of us. We are kicking off new episodes today. Because October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, Today's episode is dedicated to the topic of domestic abuse, specifically focusing on dating abuse. Though we mainly address high school and college students, this topic is relevant for anyone who is actively dating, knows someone in a relationship, or may be in a relationship at some point in their lives. Welcome back to the Soul School Podcast. Today we are talking about healthy relationships in the context of domestic abuse, specifically talking about dating abuse. And we are covering this topic because October is a month of a lot of awareness issues, but we are choosing to focus on domestic violence awareness. So October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and we are going to be focusing on the topic specifically of dating abuse. So you might say, what is domestic violence? So according to the Domestic Violence Awareness Project, domestic violence is best understood as a pattern of abusive behaviors, including physical, sexual, and psychological attacks, as well as economic coercion. So used by one an intimate partner against another, adult or adolescent, to gain, maintain, or regain power and control in the relationship. Batters use a range of tactics to frighten, terrorize, manipulate, hurt, humiliate, blame, often injure, and sometimes even kill a current or former intimate partner. And this is all that a lot of this resource that we found is from the National Resource Center on Domestic Violence. So as we said, we're going to focus on domestic abuse within a dating relationship. So we have a term called dating abuse. And to be honest, I really didn't know that this was kind of a subset of domestic violence, which is ironic because I myself am a survivor of dating abuse. But You might be thinking, dating abuse, what does that have to do with me? I would never be abused in a relationship. But I think it's really important that we start with the definition so that you can understand exactly what it is and if you or someone else is in the midst of a relationship that is abusive. The main resource that we are using is breakthecycle.org. And according to BreakTheCycle.org, dating abuse, also known as dating violence, intimate partner violence, or relationship abuse, is a pattern of abusive behaviors, usually a series of abusive behaviors over the course of time, used to exert power and control over the dating partner. Now, the words that we want you to focus on there are power and control. And if you notice, they were both in the definition for domestic violence and dating abuse. And it's important to remember that this can happen in any type of romantic relationship. It's not just in straight binary relationships. It can happen in any type of dating relationship. Exactly. And dating violence and abuse, just to be clear, it happens to people of all intelligence, emotional, 
and strength levels. So it can happen to anybody. It can happen to anybody you love and people in your you know, in your life, whether it's a classmate, whether it's a colleague, whether it's a family member. It, it doesn't matter. They could be very smart, educated people and people who are very strong in mind, emotions, and physically, and still they can be a victim of dating abuse. For high school students, one in three of them will experience physical or sexual violence or both from a dating partner which that is such a high number. I know we've heard statistics on sexual abuse, one in four, which we, that's already a huge number. Already too high. Right. So this is a really important topic for parents to hone in on. And also you as listeners, wherever you're at in your life, this could happen to people of all ages. You might have a mom or a dad who might be in a relationship that is abusive. It's not necessarily just physical either, though we are going to focus on some of the violence physically. I think it's really important that we focus in on some of the sneaky ways that abuse happens in relationships. So our focus for this episode will be to go through what is called the dating abuse power control wheel. All of our resources are primarily coming from breakthecycle.org, which we will put in our show notes. So it's important to note that the wheel has eight different pieces that go to it, but the outer ring is mainly focusing on the type of of abuse that is happening in these relationships. So it can be considered physical and sexual or emotional and verbal in nature. Any sort of physical violence is an obvious form of domestic abuse, as we said. So we want to address the ways that you or someone you love may be being abused or manipulated in relationships. I am myself someone who was manipulated and verbally abused and certainly emotionally abused in a relationship. I understand how this can be totally ignored in relationships. What happened to me was it became so normal and I loved that person so much that I eventually just became desensitized to it. So my loved ones could see just a peek into my relationship and seeing that it was unhealthy, but they didn't know the full scope and how I was being really affected. So this is really, really important to me because I don't think that anybody should have to go through this. And we are going to focus on why this is important for a healthy relationship. So this is not part of a healthy relationship at all. And healthy relationships start with you and your own relationship with yourself. So looking at the wheel, these pieces do not exist completely on their own and they are all intertwined. So we're going to trade off here, Kasha and I, talking a little bit about what each part of the wheel is. We want you to think about these pieces of the wheel if you're in relationship or if you know somebody who's in a relationship and just keep these things in mind. And we will follow up with some warning signs toward the end. So let's jump in. So like Anna said, we will be including these in our show notes so that you can really take a look at this wheel. And we really loved it because it allows you to be able to see clear signs so that you can not only you know, take a look at your own relationship that you might be in, but another relationship of a loved one. So the first one we'll take a look at is the peer pressure part of the the wheel. Peer pressure means threatening to expose someone's weaknesses or spread rumors, telling malicious lies about an individual to a peer group. 
in high school or in college in terms of blackmail, whether it's photos you sent or whether you were sexting with a partner and that was shared or other text messages that you had wanted to share with your partner and not to be shared with anybody else. And then unfortunately it was. And drinking, peer pressure drinking when you're not ready to drink and you don't want to. Participating in social activities, going to parties. Maybe that's not what you want to do, but you're feeling peer pressure that you've got to do this in order to be cooler because your friends and your significant other is wanting to be there or sporting events or clubs or intramural clubs or joining social groups that you don't want to be a part of. So those are just some ideas. I'm sure that you have other ideas of how this resonates and rings true to your life, but these are just some ideas that we've come in contact with students of our own that this is what it might look like in your life. So the next part of the wheel would be the anger and emotional part. That would be your partner putting you down, making you feel bad about yourself, calling you names, making you think you're crazy, which is a huge one in relationships, Mm -hmm. playing mind games, humiliating one another, and making you feel guilty. When I think of this part, the biggest thing I think we could all take away from this is what is called gaslighting. And gaslighting is when you you have somebody who is defining how you feel about a situation. The best way I can describe this is someone trying to make you feel like you're crazy for having the feelings that you're having. So one way they might make you feel this way is saying, that never happened or making you think otherwise like painting the picture of your experience for you also they might try to tell you what you're thinking about them which is something that I personally experienced and it did end up being true so they're again trying to take control of that situation and your emotions some common things you might hear are you're being too sensitive or there's no reason for you to act in a certain way. This also will play into the isolation from family and friends. And again, that just plays back into the control issue. Some other ways you may be being abused emotionally or verbally is disrespect. Hearing things like, do you ever stop talking or swearing, character assassination? Again, that kind of goes along with gaslighting, I think, a lot. Condescending remarks. You couldn't understand what I'm talking about, or you don't know what you're talking about. Some other things that happen that seem kind of crazy to somebody that you're not, that's not in this situation, but discrimination and prejudice based on nationality, race, gender, and sexuality. You might hear things like, women just don't get it, or women always xyz fill in the blank or you might hear derogatory remarks against people of different nationality or race a big part that can really start to feel normal is blaming or criticizing of course you're going to have disagreements from time to time but this includes overreactions to small details so you might come home one day and your partner might be there and maybe you forgot to do a dish or there's a sink full of dishes or there's some socks on the ground that shouldn't be there and your partner might completely overreact this goes along again ties back to gaslighting So somebody could be criticizing you and saying, you're never happy. Well, maybe you are happy a lot of the time, but they're just trying to put onto you their own feelings. And then also this goes in with all of the other parts of the wheel, but threatening. If you don't blank, I will do blank. Those are all things that when you look at them, they're not healthy. They're not healthy for you or for your partner to be exhibiting these in a relationship. The next one we're going to talk about is using social status. So what does that mean? Treating her or him like a servant, 
making all the decisions, acting like the master of the castle, I'm in charge here, or being the one to define men's and women's roles within your relationship and in society. And that one can be a little tricky if you're not in that time of your life. But when I think of this, I think of social status as popular groups in high school or even in college. If you're in college and you're in a fraternity or sorority, those things can be really come into play with using social status. The next one is intimidation. Making someone afraid by using looks, actions, gestures, smashing things, destroying things, abusing pets, or displaying weapons. Intimidation doesn't have to be the movie version of what you think intimidation is. It could be very subtle. A look, I could grab your elbow and convey something to you. So these things, though they seem like they're overt, they usually aren't. And they're very small, but they add up to making people feel really unsafe in relationships. The next one we're going to talk about is minimize, deny, and blame. Making light of the abuse and not taking concerns about it seriously. Saying the abuse didn't happen. Shifting responsibility for abusive behavior. Or saying she or he caused it. That blame is going back and forth. What what do we mean by that? So making light of the abuse or not taking concerns about it or not being too worried. Oh, that's not how serious it was. Or when you're feeling that something about it didn't feel right and someone else is, you know, having you maybe think, no, that's not how it happened. You misunderstood it. That's not what I meant. You're making it up in your head. And so then you start to feel more guilty about it. But you know that it was, you know, just maybe there needs to be an apology. But you're starting to feel guilty about it. And you know that you shouldn't be. Or you know it really wasn't your fault. But you're made to feel like it's actually your fault. The other partner not taking responsibility for something that they did in that situation. Then you're minimizing that abuse, which it, which it is. A way you might know that minimizing, denying, and blaming is happening to you in a relationship is that you are finding yourself apologizing for things that you did not do. Or your history and version is being rewritten. A partner may push you on accident, heavy emphasis on the accident, and you knew it wasn't an accident. But that partner might try to blame it on an accident or I didn't mean to. And it could be just one incident. One incident of physical abuse doesn't mean that it can happen again. If it happens once, you need to take that seriously and really look at that, especially if they are going to minimize, deny it, or blame it on you. The next piece of the pie here is threats. And it seems to be one of the most straightforward out of this whole circle. It means making or carrying out threats to do something to hurt one another, threatening to leave, to commit suicide, to report her or him to the police, making her or him drop the charges, or making her or him do illegal things. And when I think of threats too, I think this plays perfectly into almost all of the pieces that we have here that we're looking at. Threats can happen in each one of these things. But the one I really want to bring to attention here is the second thing I said, threatening to leave, to commit suicide, or to report him or her to the police. It's really important that you as a person realize that your partner's actions are not linked to you. You are not responsible for their reactions or things that they're threatening. 
So if you have a partner who's threatening to leave or to commit suicide or to report you to the police, it's really important that you take a step back there and really use your moral compass and know you need to make the best decision for you. What I'm hearing from what Anna is saying too, in terms of that, that also instills fear. If he leaves me, there's nothing else, you know, there's no one else that's going to love me or I can't ever find another relationship again. And so that fear really can become a huge part of your relationship because, oh my gosh, I, I, you know, what are you going to do without me? You'll never have someone better than me. This is, I'm going to hurt myself. This will be all your fault. So exactly what you said, Anna, is really taking a look at your moral compass and knowing it has nothing to do with you. It is everything to do with that person and what they're dealing with at that moment in their life. And the threats and intimidation, we could go off of what Kasha just said too. You're never going to find anybody better than me. That is something that emotional and verbal abusers will always pull on you is you're never going to find anybody better than me. But what we have to realize here is that if you're enduring abuse, that being alone is not the worst of the fate. What's worse is being in this abusive relationship that could eventually lead to something worse than just some words being thrown around. And it's important to remember that the effects that happen from all of these last for a lifetime, and it takes a lot of undoing to really work through all of these types of abuse. The next one we're going to mention is sexual coercion. And so sexual coercion is manipulating or making threats to get sex, threatening to take children away, or getting someone drunk or drugged to get sex. Not necessarily overt, it can feel like a societal pressure, like as our culture, you know, what our expectations are in terms of sex. And so an example might be, well, we've been dating so many months, so now like it's of course expected. This is what we do in our relationship. This is the next step. We've already had, maybe it gone through the different levels. Maybe it's, you know, oral sex. So of course sex then would come naturally after that. Or after so many dates, you've got to be able to put out, you know, whatever it is that you tie to it. It's the expectations from, again, going back to the wheel, but peer pressure. What is our society doing? What, what is my partner saying? It might not be the actual reality and your values of what you want in this relationship. What could help in terms of sexual coercion is understanding the difference and the definitions between consent and coercion. Consent means making an active choice to agree if you feel that they had no good option. It was not consent. If someone tries to convince you to do something sexual, even if he or she has done it with with that person before, so let's say you already had sex with your partner one time or maybe a few times, and then you've decided, I no longer want to continue having sex, you still have a choice. That's consent saying, yes, I do want to continue having a sexual relationship, or no, although I've done it, that's okay. I no longer want to do it. That's consent. That's what consent is. It's no one else's choice. It's your choice. Coercion, the definition is, if you are feeling pressured to do something sexual and do not know how to get away from the situation, or you are afraid that saying no will break up the relationship and going back to what Anna and I said is, oh, he's going to leave me if I don't continue having sex with him or her. Or, you know, again, you're afraid that it might be a sign that, you know, he or she is being coerced or emotionally forced to do something against his or her will. That's coercion. That's not consent. There are definite differences between consent and coercion, and we've just begun to touch on those topics. So we really encourage you to look into the differences between consent and coercion, whether you're a male or a female. We all need to know the difference and what 
yes means yes, no means no, and especially those gray areas. We really encourage you to find out more about consent versus coercion and to help you have healthy relationships. The last part of our wheel is isolation and exclusion. This might not look the way that you think it does. It has a lot of controlling behaviors around what another person does, who he or she sees and talks to, what he or she reads, and where he or she goes. This is also limiting outside involvement and using jealousy to justify actions. Although this one might not look as physical, this really is, would you not agree, Anna, more like emotional, verbal, that sort of abuse that could eventually lead to physical. But if you take a look at the definitions that Anna just stated, those are not physical, but it could potentially lead to it. Although I'm not a survivor, I do have loved ones and people who I care very deeply about who unfortunately are in a relationship where it is gaslighting, but more specifically the isolation. I might be calling this individual and saying, hey, I've called you, I've texted you. You're not returning any of my calls. Like, how are you doing? What's what's going on? When can we get together? And their response might be, what? What are you talking about? I never received your texts. I never received your emails. I never received your calls. Even though on my end, my phone, I can quite literally have screenshots of it. What's happening? Not being able to look back at that, I can understand that that partner was being controlling in terms of what she was able to read via text and emails and phone calls and being able to erase that. And so then the individual unfortunately feels that they're isolated. They're separated from family and friends. There's that control piece. Again, it's not physical, but you can see how that could lead to emotional abuse feeling that, oh, the only person in that relationship who understands me is my partner. Like, see, no ever, no one else is around. No one's reaching out to me. See, no one cares or loves me. And that's actually not the case. That's really, really difficult to understand because they might not even know that you've reached out. When you're limited on who you're involved with, it makes it a lot easier for the partner you're with to be this amazing person because there's no other involvement. So you can't compare it to anything else you've got going on. This actually leads quite well into our warning signs because one of our first warning signs has to do with the element of isolation and exclusion. Before we head into the warning signs you should be looking for, I would like to emphasize that this wheel, it's great to look at it and see how all of the pieces work together. Most certainly if one form of abuse is happening on that wheel, there's definitely more than one and maybe All of them can be seen in an abusive relationship. What are some of the warning signs? Checking cell phones, emails, or social networks without permission. And that's where Kasha had explained, you might not be getting communication from your friends because your significant other, partner, boyfriend, girlfriend is controlling what you're seeing on your phone, on social media, on your computer. Or even deleting them. Right. There's that element, again, the power struggle of control and power. Some other things you might see are extreme jealousy or insecurity, constant belittling or put downs, explosive temper, isolation from family and friends, making false accusations, constant mood swings towards you, physically inflicting pain or hurt in any way, possessiveness. It's not cute to be possessive (laughs) (laughs) or jealous. And it not only is it just not cute, it's also indicative of abuse. And we need to start calling out abuse where we see abuse. Telling someone what they can and cannot do and repeatedly pressuring someone into having sex. 
Just to share with you, one of my life experiences working with students was I had a student approached me and had told me that she might be in a abusive relationship and wanted to know my opinion whether or not it's of a concern, you know, that she's in a physical, uh, in, a, in an abusive relationship. She was dating her boyfriend and her boyfriend was not happy with her having male friends in her life. However, the hypocrisy was that he was able to have female friends. She had said how jealous she was and she didn't trust. Well, why could he have female friends? friends that he could hang out with them and talk to them via social media and text and calls, but she couldn't do that. Just in that scenario, which is quite common and frequent in high school or college settings, she had already knocked off half of the warning signs, which is extreme jealousy or insecurity, explosive temper, isolation from family and friends, making false accusations, constant mood swings, and possessiveness, and telling someone what they can and cannot do. So just in that one life experience, she had already shared more than half of the warning signs we just shared with you. All of this is a lot of information and you could be feeling very overwhelmed right now. If you feel like you have a friend who is in an abusive relationship, what do you do? Well, first, it's important to start the conversation if your friend hasn't already. Of course, being gentle and understanding saying something along the lines of, I noticed Tom says some things sometimes that aren't very nice. How do you feel about that? Just a gentle conversation starting that. And if a friend does open up to you, here are some things you can say to support them. The first thing you should say to somebody who has opened up to you and has been so vulnerable about what they've gone through is to say, I believe you. Then you can say some things along the lines of, it's not your fault. I want you to be safe. You don't deserve this. You deserve to be treated with respect. This is important. What do you need? What can I do for you? I'm glad you told me. I'm here if you need me or ever want to talk. And thank you for trusting me. If your friend is willing and open to it, something you can do for them is help them create a safety plan for times when they are experiencing abuse in their relationship. You can also help connect them to resources. You can reach out to your local guidance counselor or somebody at the school for them looking for resources because they might not feel comfortable doing it themselves. But most importantly, if someone's life is in danger, call 911. A lot of these principles can be transferred to yourself if you are listening to this and you realize that you are in an abusive relationship, one of the most important things is acknowledging it and reaching out to somebody, especially an adult, especially somebody you care about, and being open and honest with them. You need to bring this to light and not continue to sweep it under the rug because this is a matter of life or death in a lot of cases. Now, this episode is so heavy in all of the signs and warnings and elements of an abusive relationship. And it can seem like a lot of relationships might be abusive after listening to this episode. So we want to just tie this up and talk about what a healthy relationship does look like because you might be looking at your relationship now and being really concerned about something when in reality it actually might be a healthy relationship still. Now Kasha will tell us the six most important components of a healthy relationship. One is the absence of physical violence. Two is trust. 
mutual respect, good communication, common interests that you will have with your partner, independence. We can go into each of these. Obviously, the physical violence, you are now well-versed in this after our podcast. But trust in knowing that you don't have to turn your back and worry about who they're talking to, what they're saying. You just know in your heart of hearts that you can trust them with every fiber of your being. Mutual respect is knowing that I might not always agree with my partner and I sure as heck don't always agree with my husband, but being able to have that respect and be able to allow him to hear him out and be able to hear the differences and being able to understand his experience and where he's coming from and be able to have that mutual respect is super important. Good communication. And this is something that I know Anna and I go back because every person communicates in very different ways. So having good communication means being able to be heard and seen and that your voice and your opinion matters and that you can actually share that. Common interests. Whatever goofy fun thing that you guys like to do that there's actually maybe not all of your interests align, but that there are a couple things that unite you in terms of what you like to do together. Maybe you like music and going to concerts together, but maybe one of you is super artistic and one of you is really big into sports. Being able to have that mutual respect for each other, like that's great that you love going to art or theater class. I love going to volleyball camp and I'm not really crazy about athletics, but that you can still have that mutual respect but then maybe you go to concerts together and so have some of those interests together. Independence. I truly believe this is one of the most important things in a relationship and this is just me personally is that independence. Having time away and feeling safe away from your partner and being able to be comfortable and happy having that alone time. Are we saying that healthy relationships are never going to fight or have a disagreement? No! We all know this in friendships too that you are going to disagree sometimes. So no relationship, no healthy relationship goes without an argument or a fight, but it's the way that you handle that in healthy relationships that truly make the difference between a healthy relationship and an unhealthy relationship. Though today's episode was heavy and it had a lot of really hard to process information, we hope that it was beneficial to you and that you can move forward in your relationships feeling safe and secure because ultimately that's what everybody deserves. Everyone deserves to be happy and healthy within their relationships. And if you are not, you need to reach out for help. And if you know somebody who isn't, reach out to them to see if they need help. Everybody just needs somebody to listen sometimes. Until next time, stay inspired. inspired.